Let's pray. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to preach so that, God, I wouldn't just be blabbing up here, but you would be speaking to our hearts. We ask it, Father, in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Leadership Journal is a journal that uh, is published by Christianity Today. I used to subscribe to it, and, and for years it was kind of the leading resource for pastors of the Protestant evangelical persuasion. Each issue contained a section for preachers titled To Illustrate. Several years ago, I read the following. In January 1985, a large suitcase, unmarked and unclaimed, was discovered at the Los Angeles International Airport. When U.S. Customs agents opened the suitcase, they found the curled up body of an unidentified young woman. She had been dead for a few days, according to the county coroner. As the investigation continued, it was learned that the woman was the wife of a young Iranian living in the United States. Unable to obtain a visa to enter the U.S. and join her husband, she took matters into her own hands and attempted to smuggle herself into America via an airplane's cargo bay. While her plan seemed to her simple, though risky, Officials were hard-pressed to understand how such an attempt could ever succeed. Even if she survived the journey in the cargo bay, she would remain an illegal alien, having entered through improper channels. And, and then they make a comment and they kind of tell you the meaning of the story. They write, some people believe they'll enter the kingdom of God on their own since they've been unreasonably good citizens or church attenders. But entry plans of our own design prove not only foolish, but fatal. They make the point, they make the point that she had the wrong entry plan. It, it was her plan. Uh, I guess not God's plan. She was an illegal alien trying to enter the kingdom of the United States through improper channels in an improper container, which is the improper way. She had no way. All she had was faith, hope, and love for her bridegroom. How foolish. How fatal, comment the experts in Leadership Journal. It, it was the, the wrong way. And God does seem to be awfully concerned about the right way. The right way to enter his kingdom. You know, in the Old Testament, the temple in Jerusalem was like the kingdom of heaven on earth. There were volumes of regulations regarding how one was to enter. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the whole nation would fast as the high priest would uh, perform all sorts of rituals and, and make all sorts of sacrifices in order that he could enter the Holy of Holies. For if he entered the Holy of Holies, Israel would be forgiven if he entered and lived. So obviously, pe people want to know, what's the plan of salvation? What's the plan of salvation? Who has the plan of salvation? Pastor, tell me what I need to know so I can get in and not be thrown out. Where, where am I? Where are we? Oh my God, what's happening? Hello, newcomers, and welcome. Can everybody hear me? Hello? 
Can everybody, okay. Uh, I am the held director. Uh, it looks like we have about 8,615 of you newbies today. And for those of you who were a little confused, uh, you are dead and this is hell. So abandon all hope and uh, yada yada yada. Uh, we're now going to start the orientation process, which will last about- Hey, wait a minute, I shouldn't be here. I was a totally strict and devout Protestant. I thought we went to heaven. Yes, well, I'm afraid you were wrong. I was a practicing Jehovah's Witness. Uh, you picked the wrong religion as well. Well, who was right? Who gets into heaven? I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Oh. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just love that little clip because I think that's how we actually think it is, you know? Um, maybe not Mormon, but, but Presbyterian or Lutheran or Republican or Democrat or Bronco fan. Um, people want to know, what do I need to know? And how do I apply uh, what, what I know? Give me some of that knowledge of good and evil, Pastor, and help me know how to apply it. Tell me then, can I watch HBO? How much do I need to give? Is that before taxes or after taxes? Do I have to fast? And if I have to fast, how long? And can I drink juice? What's right so I can make myself right and be sure to get in? In Jesus' day, the guys that knew all the answers were called scribes. They were the theologians and pastors and experts of Jesus' day. And of the three main branches of Judaism in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the branch that were closest to Jesus. So it was the scribes of the Pharisees that would have published the first century leadership journal. Well, in Mark chapter two, Jesus starts clashing with the scribes and the Pharisees it happens when a fellow enters a church service through a rather improper channel. We, we preached on it last week, so I'll just review it now and then we'll keep going. Matthew, or Mark chapter two, verse two. Many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door, and Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they literally unroofed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins have been forgiven. Now in any culture, it's just terribly inappropriate to interrupt a, a church service by uh, destroying the roof and dropping down in front of the preacher, especially when the preacher's the son of God. And this guy didn't just enter the building, he entered the, the kingdom because Jesus said, son, your sins have been forgiven. And yet, this guy hadn't confessed any right beliefs. He didn't know the plan of salvation. And he didn't do any right actions. He, he was paralyzed. And Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven. I mean, this guy was a whole lot of wrong. But Jesus saw something that was right. Like, like a little seed in a pile of dirt. He saw a little faith, hope, and love. The man wanted in. And so Jesus said, you're in. Next verse. 
Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, Jesus heals the guy and announces that his sins have been forgiven, as we preached about last week. Verse 12, the man rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, now Levi's a tax collector. That was a profession that was uh, well looked down upon, not just looked down upon, but forbidden by the scribes and looked down upon by all the people. Tax collectors had sold out to the Herodians and, and the Roman oppressors. They grew rich through extortion and dishonesty, literally taking a cut of everybody's taxes for themselves. Everybody hated these guys. The whole crowd was chasing Jesus, and Jesus chases Levi. The one guy who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was a sinner. Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him, tax collectors and sinners. Uh, we know that the Gospels refer to prostitutes as, as sinners, um, and, and we don't know who all else, but tax collectors and sinners, they party with Jesus, and people wonder, how did they get in? Extortion and prostitution is not a proper channel for entering the kingdom of God. How'd they get in to, to Jesus and how did Jesus get into them? I mean, think about this. If thieves and hookers are throwing a party, they do not say, hey, let's invite the pastor. Because even if the pastor's in the party, his eyes will say, you, my friends, are out of God's party. Yet Jesus' eyes must have said, you belong in God's party. <laughs> For you, he throws a party. He wants you in, and now you want in. So you're in. Tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus, communing with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that, they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. They said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Not the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The wedding banquet was a picture of heaven. The Messiah was the groom and his people were, were the bride. Not only do Jesus' followers like get in, it's like he's saying somehow they're kind of already in. So, so how, do we, how do we get in? I mean, do we fast? That was a question they're ask, asking. Do we fast? Should we fast or should we not fast? What's the right thing to think, Jesus? What's the right thing to do? What's the practical application point, Jesus? They said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, they don't fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? In that day, at the wedding feast, it was literally illegal to fast at the wedding party. 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. So, so we ask Jesus, do we fast or, or do we not fast? What does he want? Do you ever ask that question? Jeez, I do. God, what do you want? Well, the paralytic gets in, Levi gets in, sinners get in. What do we have to do to get in? Moses will tell you. Muhammad will tell you. And Jesus will tell you a story, a riddle. Come on, Jesus, just tell me. Should I fast or should I not fast? You know, I have two friends that fasted for a month. One friend set out to fast. That was the point. And when I heard about his fast, I was thoroughly impressed with him and rather ashamed of myself. In fact, I felt myself separated from him. Uh, uh, my other friend fasted for a month as well. He, he, di he did the same, but he didn't set out to fast. I suspect that he wasn't even aware he was fasting, and yet that, in fact, is exactly what it was. And when he told me this story, I didn't feel separated from him, but even closer to him. One summer in college, my friend Mark Rinke, he followed this girl. He followed a girl to California. He sold everything, left his home in Colorado and lived in a little trailer in California just to be close to Diana. It was, it was utterly foolish and it could have been fatal. He spent all his money on rent and didn't have any money left over for food. She broke up with him and he wouldn't leave because he wanted her more than he wanted food. He finally broke his fast, he broke his fast in this hunger-induced delusion, this delirium. He broke into her house late one evening, not, not through the roof, but through a window, still a rather improper channel. Delirious with hunger, he found a big bowl of jello that Diana's mother had prepared for a special event the following day. Having lost all control, he took it from the fridge, placed it on the floor, and just started pounding jello, fistfuls of jello, one after another into his mouth. He said, Peter, it was like when the, when the jello hit my brain, when the sugar hit my brain, all at once I realized what I was doing. At that point, he panicked. He put the cellophane back on the bowl, put the bowl back in the refrigerator and snuck out of the house. <laughs> Diana's mom still doesn't know, still never did figure out what, what kind of thief would break into a house Eat only the jello, put the cellophane back on the bowl, put the bowl back in the refrigerator, and then sneak out of the house. Was the same foolish thief that married her daughter and fathered her grandchildren, for Diana let Mark in. She let him in, into her temple, into her heart. They formed a covenant, celebrated communion, and bore fruit named Rachel and Holly. You know, Diana is our church administrator. She's here this morning and she said, do not point me out, but you just need to know she's here. So you can ask her <laughs> and find her. And, uh, and Mark, Diana and Mark have been in my small group for, for years. Well, anyway, when, when that first friend told me about his fast, I was impressed with him and ashamed of me. But when Mark told me about his fast, I forgot all about me and I was impressed with Diana. I remember thinking, wow, Diana must have really been impressive. Mark, she must have really been hot. 
So you see, Mark's fast wasn't to his credit, but to her credit. Mark fasted by grace, Diana's grace. He didn't want to fast. He wanted Diana, and that made him fast. He didn't want to be righteous. He wanted Diana, and that was righteousness. That was faith, hope, and love. By, by the end of the summer, uh, she looked at Mark and thought, <laughs> so much wrong. <laughs> but one thing is right. He wants me. He wants me. I, I'm going to let him in. So really, maybe it's not about whether you fast or you, you don't fast, but why you fast or don't fast. In, in other words, what do you want? The scribes and the Pharisees wanted to be right. And that made them wrong. Isn't that something? The paralytic, Levi, tax collectors and sinners wanted Jesus and that made them right. So what do you want? In verse 17, I don't know if you caught this. Jesus says something kind of, I think, revolutionary and amazing. It's just crazy. He said, he's, let's see, if, let's just try to take it seriously. He said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so ask yourself, am I one of the righteous or am I a sinner. Now we'll take a show of hands in just a second here and sort this, sort the, no, not really. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? But just ask yourself, am I one of the righteous or am I a sinner? If you answer one of the righteous, well, I guess Jesus isn't calling you because he did not come to call the righteous but sinners. And if you're not called, you're not, you're not in, but out. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many my works in your name? And say, depart from me. I never knew you. But if you answer, I'm a sinner, well, Jesus is calling you. For he came to call sinners. He knows you and he's chosen you. Romans 8, 29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justed, justified, he also glorified. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And, and he didn't say some sinners. He just said sinners. Sin is the Greek word hamartia. A sinner is the Greek word hamartolos. It literally means to miss the mark or the mark misser. If you said to yourself, I, I'm one of the righteous, it's probably because you've told yourself, I, I hit the mark. And you've defined the mark as a set of laws that give you the knowledge of good and evil. It really doesn't matter what the law is, but that you use the law to judge yourself and judge everyone uh, around you. you. You use the law and probably even adjust the law to make yourself righteous and others unrighteous, right? I mean, you know this, you're driving down the freeway and uh, it doesn't really matter what the posted speed limit is on the side of the road 
People that are going slower than you are just going too freaking slow. You know what I mean? And people that go around you, they're just going too damn fast. Why? Because you're the judge. And you've made yourself the law. And you use the law to judge who's in and who's out. And the more that are out, the better you feel about being in. In fact, you compete with others to be righteous and set yourself apart. In Hebrew, parash. It means uh, separate. It's, it's where we get the word or where they got the word parashi or Pharisee. They were those who set themselves apart from sinners. They used the law to set themselves apart from sinners. Well, making yourself righteous then, do you understand how making yourself righteous, you make yourself totally unrighteous? For to make yourself righteous, you compete with your neighbor. To make yourself righteous, you try to beat your neighbor. When the whole commandment is love your neighbor. So if you think you've made yourself righteous, you've made yourself unrighteous. It's not just that you haven't fulfilled some little detail of God's law, but that your righteousness is unrighteousness. So your righteousness is a lie, a horrid lie. And so God looks at that self-righteous you and says, I don't know you. Why? Well, because he doesn't know lies. He's not calling you the false you. Not that you. And by the way, that you is no fun at parties. And heaven, heaven is, is a party, an unending party. And now if you're thinking to yourself, oh God, Peter just described me. I tell myself I'm righteous, but I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. Ugh. Well, good news. Jesus came to call sinners. Jesus is calling you, that you, the real you, the true you, the naked you, no longer hiding in fig leaves, pretending to be something that you're not. You're a sinner. And that's good news. Because if someone says to you, you failed, you just say, hey, what do you expect from, from a sinner? Pressure's off. And you're not alone. You're a sinner. And isn't that great news to know that you're, well, that really, you're, you're not better than anyone else. You're not separate. You're not a Pharisee. And so turn to your neighbor. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a sinner. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a sinner. Just do it. I'm the pastor. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a sinner. <laughs> now to turn to your neighbor and say, I bet you're a sinner too. Go ahead and say that. I bet you're a sinner too. You see, if you can actually admit and mean it, I'm a sinner, maybe you can enjoy a party. Maybe you can forget yourself because you're not stuck on yourself. You're not full of yourself. You're not stiff. So if you just thought, ah, crap, I'm not righteous. I'm a sinner. Well, hallelujah, the pressure's off. And you're not alone. And you, my friend, are being called individually by Jesus. And those whom he calls, he also justifies. And those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. And that means you're in. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And now some will say, wow, um, well then shall I sin that grace may abound? 
gosh, pastor, should I, should I try to sin? No. You've already got plenty of sin. And, and not only that, I don't think you can actually sin by trying to sin. I mean, to sin is to miss the mark, like shooting at this target and missing the bullseye. So think with me. You can't miss the mark if you don't try to hit the mark. If you aim for the outer ring, you make it the mark, and you can't miss the mark by hitting the mark. Does that make sense? And we all agree, we all agree that there's a mark. We call it what's right. We may disagree on the details of what's right and how to best do what's right and hit the mark, but we all try to hit the mark. And so no one makes it their aim uh, to be a sinner, just like no one makes it their aim to be an addict. They, they, they aim for rest and try to hit the mark uh, with drugs and alcohol. No one aims for adultery, broken hearts, and broken families. They aim for communion. And they break communions, trying to get communion. No one aims for murder, war, even genocide. What do they aim for? Security, peace, and justice. And they kill people in the process. And then they kill more people just to convince themselves and everybody else, I'm righteous. It was righteous. I'm, I'm righteous. The most dangerous sinners aren't sinners that admit they're sinners but sinners desperately trying to convince themselves that they're not sinners, but just right. To admit you're a sinner is to admit, I'm not right. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you're full of righteousness, well, you won't hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger for righteousness is to admit you're empty of righteousness, to admit you're, you're a sinner, to admit you want righteousness, but you can't make yourself righteous. You, you want the right, but you can't make right. To admit you're a sinner is to hear the call of the righteous one and realize you're, you're not right. So what's right? You know, Eve and that first Adam wanted to know what's right. That's why they took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think that's called the law. They took the law to make themselves right. And it's as if God said, you want law? Well, I'll give you law. But it won't make you right. And taking it will make you wrong and dead. The law describes what's right. But it is not what right, what, well it's right, it describes what's right, but, but it can't make you right. What does it do? It only reveals that you're wrong. The law describes love. Love fulfills the law. The law describes love, and love is right, and God is love, and so of course you can't make yourself right. That's like trying to make yourself God. You see, God is not a practical application point. You can't apply him to your life, but maybe he can apply you to his life. Well, to make yourself God, that would be like killing God. 
How could we ever kill God? Well, Jesus is God. And he's the mark. And now I hope you, I hope you know the story. Aiming to make ourselves right and convince ourselves we were right, we crucified the right. We nailed him to our tree of knowledge and he turned it into his tree of life. We took his life and yet he gave his life. He forgave his life crying, Father, forgive. He hung on the tree naked crying, Father, forgive. I mean, he must have looked foolish. And it was fatal. It certainly appeared to be the wrong way. And yet he is the way. He's the only way into the temple of your heart. He's love. And he is the mark. Just before we took his life, he gave his life. He took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The covenant, like, like a marriage covenant. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Tra take and, and drink of it, drink of it, all of you. Wine that's blood and blood that's wine. New wine. And now back to our text, verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and, and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, destroyed and, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins, new wineskins. In those days, people made wine and stored wine in skins because they could expand with the fermentation. As the wine fermented, the skins then would stretch, but old skins would no longer stretch. They had become brittle. And so new wine would burst old wineskins. Well, as Jesus gave up his spirit and poured out his life, and remember scripture says the life is in the blood, as he poured out his, his, his life, the curtain in the temple separating God from us, it like ripped from the top to the bottom, it like burst. And within a generation, that old stone temple was destroyed. Maybe the law and that stone temple are, are like old wineskins. And maybe you're an old wineskin. If you think you're righteous. If you're, if you're stiff. Steve Brown writes, it's worth noting that Jesus didn't condemn bad people. He condemned stiff people. We condemn the bad ones and affirm the stiff ones. One of the most radical statements Jesus ever made was this, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. The righteous don't want righteousness, but sinners long for, yearn for, want righteousness, and, and Jesus is righteousness. What does God want? What does Jesus want? What does the great bridegroom want? He wants you to want him. Well, the new wine destroys old wineskins that don't want new wine. Maybe the righteous are old wineskins and Jesus doesn't call them. 
He destroys them. His blood is judgment upon them, and his blood is, is the new wine. His blood is righteousness. Maybe the righteous are old wineskins, and, and I know that, that sinners are the new wineskins because Jesus calls them and Jesus fills them like a bridegroom fills his bride and she bears fruit, the fruit of righteousness. So check this out. Any righteousness in you is his life in you, and if you claim it as your own, what do you do? You kill it. You, you kill him. Any love in you is what? It's God in you. And if you possess God, it's like you crucify God. The self righteous are old wineskins. And I think I have an old wineskin. I, 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 I really do. I, I have an old wineskin, but I am a new wineskin made by God to hold the new wine. Maybe the new wine is destroying my old wineskin even as it fills me, the new wineskin. My old wineskin is my ego. And I got one. My old wineskin is my pride. My old wineskin is my self-righteous self, and it's a lie, it's a prison. I'm finally free when that thing is, is destroyed. I have an old wineskin, but I am a new wineskin. I want for righteousness like an empty wineskin wants for wine, to be filled with wine. I want for righteousness like a bride wants to be filled by her groom. I want for righteousness, and that itself is like a seed of righteousness, like a little faith, hope, and love in me, longing for more faith, hope, and love in me, growing within me. I'm a sinner. And so, I want for righteousness. And Jesus is righteousness. So when you want to be right, when you want to be true, when you want to be uh, love, what, what are you longing for? Well, you're, you're longing for Jesus. I want Jesus. And that's what it takes to get in. If you want to get into heaven, you must want heaven to get into you. And to want heaven to get into you, you must admit that you're a sinner. And to admit that you're a sinner, you must be called by the righteous one. So if you think, gosh, I'm a sinner, good news! You are being called by the righteous one himself. Righteousness himself is calling you and making you to want him. You know, God is not testing you to find out what you know as if he doesn't know. He's not testing you to find out what you know. And God is not testing you to find out what you can do. God is romancing you. He's calling you to create a longing within you for him, for you will be filled with him. There isn't a plan of salvation that you can do. There is only a plan of salvation that God has done, and that's to unite all things in Christ, making peace by the blood of his cross, Ephesians 1.10 and 2.20. Unite all things in Christ, making peace by the blood of his cross, the 
the new wine. The great and merciful surprise, writes Richard Rohr, is that we come to God not by getting it right, but by getting it wrong. So it seems that getting into the kingdom of heaven is pretty different than getting into the kingdom of the United States of America. So they found the body of Katan Safai, 20 years old, newly married, I, three weeks married, Iranian bride, curled up in a large suitcase at, at LAX. Unable to obtain a visa, she tried to enter through improper channels. All she had was faith, hope, and love, a longing for her bridegroom. And so she became a bad example in sermons all throughout our country in the mid-80s for we love laws and thinking we can fulfill laws, making ourselves righteous. We love that. For if, well, for if you, you, know, you can save yourself, <laughs> then you don't need a savior. Well, Katan Safai needed a savior. And now you may be saying, Pastor, you're not, are you, are you saying that that Iranian chick got saved? Not exactly. But why not? Scripture says love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And what she did sure looked like love. Foolish and fatal. She sacrificed herself for love, and God is love, and Jesus is the way. So, so maybe when she sees him, she'll recognize him, run to him, and he'll tell her his name. My name is Jesus. It means God is salvation. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus was at LAX, and he opened the suitcase first, and he said, Katan, I'm your bridegroom. I'm the one that you're seeking. And all who seek find, I am love. I suffered and died for you, Katan, and now you have suffered and died for me, and that's not your plan. That's my plan. I am the way. They may not accept you in the kingdom of the United States of America. They may not accept you in the kingdom of the institutional church, but Katan, my kingdom is your kingdom. Foolish and fatal love, oh, that belongs to me. Even more, it is me. I am love. I am righteousness. And love is my new wine. I don't know. I'm just wondering. Maybe she was a new wineskin. So on the night of the day in which uh, we betrayed him, the beginning of that day, as the Jews count the days, Jesus took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take this and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup, this cup contains the blood of the covenant, the, the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. 
Drink of it, all of you, and do it in, in remembrance of me. If you're righteous, he's not calling you. If you're a sinner, he is. And by the way, scripture says no one is righteous. No, not one, only God is righteous. No one is good, but God alone. So let me say it again. If you're righteous, he's not calling you. If you're a sinner, he is. So pray with me. You just say this. Say it silently in your heart after me, okay? And don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to like do something or join something. Just say, Lord God, I'm a sinner. And Lord Jesus, you are righteous. I surrender myself that you would fill me with yourself. And St. Paul wrote, him whom he calls, he also justifies, and him who he justifies, he also glorifies. You're in. In Jesus' name, amen. So we invite you and Jesus calls you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, and then dip it in the cup. The dark cups are wine, the light cups are unfermented wine, grape juice, and then take the wine and place it in your skin. Amen? And so um, may you hate sin. Why? Because it hurts you, and it hurts people, and it, and it hurts God. But may you be thankful that you're a sinner. Why? Well, because unless you're a sinner, I, I don't think you can really meet the righteous one. Unless you need saving, you don't really get to know the Savior. So you can thank God that, that, that you're a sinner. And so when you become aware of sin, well, what do you do? You don't have to hide it. You don't have to beat yourself up for it, uh, but you can surrender it. Do you know what the Bible calls this thing? I, I really believe this is true. You can read about this, research it. This is called the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Because you see, your, your sin is it's like a grape. Throw it into the wine press, your sin. And God crushes it with his mercy and he turns it into new wine that flows back into you as God's grace. You surrender sin and receive grace and it changes you. You know what, you know there's another name for Levi, the, the dude that Jesus chased. That's Matthew. Levi, uh, you know, is from the, the Levites. They're the priests in the temple, self-righteous self, self over time. And Matthew, well, Matthew wrote the gospel, wrote the Bible. Uh, that's how a Levi turns into a Matthew, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. That's how a Rabbi Saul turns into the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Grace, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And so may you surrender everything to that winepress and rejoice in the grace of God and who he is. May you just be drunk with his new wine. Because one day it's going to fill the whole earth.
and there's going to be no place to hide. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.